and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Letters from Prison. And so this is just, honestly, this is a series we're doing out of the letters Paul wrote while he sat in jail. And so there's a few epistles in the New Testament that you maybe read through and don't think about that book of the Bible being written by somebody sitting there in jail. Somebody shackled, somebody maybe tied to another prisoner, somebody sitting in probably one of the worst circumstances you can imagine in filth and squalor. And you can imagine Paul sitting there in jail writing these letters. And so we're looking at those verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we started in the book of Philippians. And so last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1, how Paul teaches us how to keep our joy no matter what. It's an interesting book because it's written from Paul to the churches, but it probably should have been written to Paul because Paul's the one sitting in jail. Paul's the one who probably needs a letter about keep your joy and keep your circumstances. Because last week we looked at joy no matter what. Joy in any circumstance of life. And Paul is in prison. And so obviously that might be a circumstance that would seek to steal joy. And yet he still writes, you can have joy in every circumstance. Paul says, I know I'm in prison, but I can still preach from my prison cell. He said, I can still write letters. I can still encourage the saints. I can still lead prisoners and guards. I can still lead everybody to Jesus. I can live my life in a way that exudes this joy. And by doing so, I'm an example to the people around me. Paul said, don't lose your joy just because of your circumstances. So you can check that out online if you missed week number one. Chapter two, though, he starts to wrestle uh, with maybe the second issue that I think maybe more even than the first one seeks to steal our joy. Chapter one, he talked about circumstances. Chapter two, we're going to jump right into the middle and then we'll come back to the beginning and work our way through the chapter. But I want to show you what he's talking about right out of the middle of verse 15. Paul is speaking to them and he says this, watch. But you are living with crooked and mean people all around you, to which everybody said a good amen. Come on, (laughs) not too loud because the people around you will hear you. You are living with crooked and mean people all around you. See, the reality is last week we talked about happiness, how it's based on happenings. And so it's fine. It's not a bad thing to have happiness. But oftentimes when all of our circumstances are correct and everything works out the way we would like it to, we are filled with this emotion that a lot of people might call joy, but honestly is only tied to the circumstance in which we felt it. And so when things don't work out, which a lot of life is, that fleeting thing that we call happiness or joy runs away from us and we lose it. And honestly, Paul taught us last week that true joy is only found in Christ. It's only found in the hope of our salvation and a hope of where we're going and the security we have in our faith in God. It's only found there. And so when you don't have that, apart from Christ, there's nothing that can sustain happiness. There are circumstances that maybe can make it last a little longer than others. Or if you have more, you have better circumstances than the person next to you, then maybe your happiness will last a few months longer. But apart from Christ, there is nothing that sustains it. And so we learned that about circumstances. And so honestly, though, what now Paul is starting to teach us, and we'll see this in the chapter, is apart from Christ, when the happiness runs out, people start to get mean and crooked. When their circumstances don't quite work out the way they thought they should, they start to get mean and grouchy and contentious. And so we live in a culture that, by and large, is fairly upset. Would you agree with me, everybody? By and large, I think the average thermometer on our culture and on our temperament is just plain upset. It's just something we see, and that's just the reality of life. In fact, I saw it just a couple of weeks ago. I'm selling some things on Facebook Marketplace. If you ever see me on there, just let it go, everybody. Don't, don't message me. 
But I said a few things, and obviously I mispriced a couple of the things because I got a bunch of responses within like 10 minutes. And so I just picked the first person, told them where to meet and how much, and then just went down the list telling the other people, I'm sorry, it's been sold. Thought I'd be the nice guy, right? Thought that would just kind of let it go. No, 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 everybody. So one of the conversations wrote back, I, I kid you not, within about 30 seconds, wrote back, calling me every name under the book, screaming, you bleepity bleep, you pro- all this profanity lays, can't believe what kind of person, all this stuff, and, which is just par for the course. If you've ever sold anything online, that's just kind of how it is. But what made me laugh the hardest is then they added at the bottom, so are you going to sell it to me or what? <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, what I need to do right now is meet you in person. That's what I absolutely... That is the, that's the wise play here. That's what I need to do in that. But I just thought to myself, what, what did I do to deserve this? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything to them. I didn't do anything to their family. I didn't burn down their house. Like, what did, what did I do to deserve this? What, what, what's my, honestly, what bizarre world have I been dropped into? Because we live in a liar world full of contentious and grouchy. Paul even said it way back then, crooked and mean people. You live in a world with those. I saw a woman turn purple at the post office over like 80 cents of postage. Like it was incredible. Like just one of the most amazing. For some reason, and this is all the way from Paul till now, this is nothing new. We live where the temperament seems to be just upset all the time. Crooked and mean. Right is we live in a world that is messed up, contentious and grouchy. And here's the thing I've come to learn. You cannot decide how people treat you. But you can decide how you respond. And so I don't know if that's news to you, and I don't know if that's just something you've been telling yourself for years, but you need to finally get worked into your heart. You cannot decide how people are going to treat you. Because I promise you people are not going to treat you well. But you can decide how you respond. You can't decide who's going to be nice to you, who's going to be mean to you, who's going to be aggressive, who's going to be whatever it is, who's going to be sweet, who's going to attack, who's going to discourage, who's whatever. no matter what it is, you cannot decide. Because our text says we are living in this generation of people who are mean around all around you. But watch what Paul says as he finishes out this verse. He says, crooked and mean, among whom you're supposed to what? You're supposed to retaliate in kind. Among whom you're supposed to lash out with words that are more cunning than theirs. Among whom you're supposed to give, right? You're supposed to give one for one, eye for eye. No, Paul says, among whom you shine like stars in the dark world. This is where Paul is working towards. So we're going to back it up to the beginning of this chapter. But I wanted you to see what Paul is giving us, the problem, and he's giving us what he's going to convince us of in this chapter. And we're supposed to shine like stars in a dark world. Supposed to shine like examples in a dark world. Here's the problem that I've found. Oftentimes we don't. I don't know if you've seen that about your own life, but I've seen it in mine. So many times we don't. We love Jesus, but we hate people. Come on, somebody. We just... If we're honest with ourselves this morning, so many times we fall short of this mark. We don't shine like stars in a dark world. We don't shine how Paul is trying to convince us to do. Because here's the problem. We don't, and the world looks at us and says, hey, you're just as upset as I am. The world looks at the church and they say, hey, you're just as mad as I am. You're just as messed up and grouchy as I am. You just hate things as much. You might be upset about different things, but you just live as mad and contentious as I am. And so there's nothing different about you. There's nothing, why, why would I want what you have when it's the same anger I've got pent up inside of me? 
And the world looks at us and they say, there's nothing different. And we look the same. Paul says, you've got to embrace this attitude of joy so we would be an example to the world around us. How we react to people would be different. And because of this, by the way, if we do this right, then we gain the opportunity just by the way we live our lives to reach others for the gospel. If we get this thing right, because as you, we look at this, as we walk through this chapter, I think we're going to find most of us fall short of the mark. Most of us, the way that we live right now does not match what Paul is describing in Philippians chapter 2. So I want to talk to you, how do, in our relationships, how do we shine? How do we be examples in a dark world in our relationships? How do we maintain joy in the midst of grouchy and mean people? Start in verse 3, and I'm going to give three principles because I have preacher's disease, and I think three is all we can handle. All right, so verse number 3. It says, when you do these things, when you're living, this is the circumstances keeping your joy from chapter 1. When you do them, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. So he starts off, if you're going to have good relationships, if you're going to be an example, if you're going to keep your joy in the midst of grouchy and mean people, then you have to check this attitude of selfishness or pride. So number one, jot it down if you're taking notes, is motivation. Number one is the motivation, because if you're going to have pure, authentic relationships... You got to get rid of this selfishness and pride. You need to examine the motivation behind the relationships that you have. You have to understand because if we're going to have, we're going to show Christ to others. If you're going to be a light to people, the motivations you engage in have to be pure. The motivations you engage in your relationship. The reality is, he has to address this selfishness and pride because honestly, this is the default state for a whole lot of us. This is this is kind of the default because part of being right, part of growing up as a child, we just come into this world full of selfishness and pride. I don't know if you've ever been around a child before, but it is very self-centered in that I need people to take care of me, to meet my needs. If I have an emotion, it needs to be expressed at this moment. Right. And so part of growing up is learning that the world does not revolve around us, that the universe is not about us. But there's this lingering emotion There's this lingering tendency towards selfishness and pride that honestly a whole lot of us have never gotten rid of. That we see ourselves at the center of the universe. It's this thing on the inside of us that makes it all about us. Let me prove it to you. This is a picture we took uh, at the break today. All right, everybody? So this is a picture we took. I think Nick grabbed it for me. They'll put that up there at the break, right? We were doing announcements. It's about of the center section here in the congregation. Now, right now, everybody in the center section is looking for themselves. Come on, somebody. <laughs> they have found themselves. People on the side are like, maybe I got into the picture. I don't know. Maybe I'm up there. People online are like, maybe I got in the picture. Maybe I'm just, I'm up there. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's a tendency for us to find ourselves. A tendency for us to look for ourselves in group pictures, to look for ourselves, to put ourselves at the center of our universe. And this is just an example. This is nothing wrong if that's what you did. But what happens is in our lives, a greater version of this begins to manipulate the relationships we engage in. And so we start to see ourselves at the center of every relationship. We start to see ourselves as the needed beneficiary of every relationship. And so we start to have relationships that are all about me. And honestly, part of the greatest part of following Christ is learning that it's not about us, that we are not at the center. But it's just something that comes naturally to all of us. And so Paul is saying you can't do this because your relationships, if they're full of selfishness and they're full of pride, Paul is saying then you're going to have very shallow relationships. And that's what I've learned. If all of your relationships are selfish, all of your relationships are shallow. If all of your relationships are based on what I want to do. And so we say, well, I want to go eat here and I want to do this and I want to do that. And if you don't want to do what I want to do, then we can't have a relationship anymore. 
Because I'm going to do what I want to do. No, the depth of relationship is in sacrifice. You have any relationship that's worth having. You think about any of your meaningful relationships. It cannot be all about one person. It cannot be all about selfishness. No, it's a give and take. Any marriage you've seen that has thrived, it's about sacrifice, about serving the other person, about being that in a relationship. We've got to understand the depth is found. And so Paul continues, verse 3, he tells us how to do that. So he says, instead of selfishness and pride, instead be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. That's kind of a two-step process there, humility and then honor. Humility that says, I am not the center of this. I am not the greatest thing in the universe. I am not. Humility that thinks less of yourself. Humility that thinks of yourself less often. And then honor that seeks to lift other people. Seeks to elevate other people. Listen to me. This is a lost art in my life included. That we would move ourselves out from the center. We would be humble in our lives and we would seek to lift others. We would seek to honor others. It's being in touch. Humility. Being in touch with your humanity. Knowing that you are flawed too. Come on, somebody. You have deep-seated flaws just like everybody else being humble and then seeking to lift others, speaking the best, thinking I'm going to honor others in my life. I'm going to lift them. I'm going to speak life over them. This is, a, this is a trait we need to learn. And Paul is teaching it in Philippians 2. Don't let selfishness and pride be your guide. Don't put yourself at the center of your relationships. Instead, seek to honor others. Humility and honor. Verse 4, he says, don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. This is good advice just for Americans in general, everybody. I think this is, this is great advice for us. Because Paul is saying, you want to actually have depth in your relationships. You want to be an example to the world around. You want to shine like a star. You have to be interested not in your life, but in the lives of others. Because you ever meet anybody who, like, the first time you meet them, all they talk about is themselves? Anybody ever met somebody? Like, you meet them. Like, you haven't even just exchanged names. And they're talking about their life and their career and their kids and their hobbies and how great they are. Like, 30 minutes nonstop. Don't even take a breath. And then when they do stop, they say, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? It's an exhaust. That's a hard person to have a relationship with. And Paul is giving us just practical. I think sometimes we think, well, it's just spiritual advice. That's all that's in there. We're just spiritual. I just put that. Paul is saying, stop being a jerk in all your relationships. Stop being so self-centered. You want to be an example to others. Humility and honor. Humble yourself and honor others. Lift others. See how I can speak life into others. He says, start being interested in the lives of others. That means being engaged in conversations where you ask about their life. Where you ask about how, what they're walking through. Where you ask about the dreams that they have. You ask about what's putting pressure on them. Where their pain is coming from. What, what things are they looking to accomplish. You actually are interested. You ask questions that aren't self-serving. Come on, somebody. You're not just like holding your breath, waiting to tell your better story as they talk. You're not even listening to what they say. You're just ready to, to pounce. Questions that aren't self-serving. You're not glued to your phone while this person who is a human being is standing in front of you. There's... There's a thing Paul is teaching us here. You want to be an example to those around you. You want to have relationships that have depth. Paul is saying, be interested in the lives of others. You know what happens when you do that? You'll find relational depth. You start to find these relationships that Paul talks about in his writings. And when we embrace this principle, we can apply it to a world that is hurting as well. We can shine like stars in a universe. We can change our perspective of people. In fact, I want to give you something that might be the hardest action to take in this entire series. And that is when people are mean to you, when people 
act the way they do, when people begin to do, don't, don't ask yourself and don't think about and don't talk about and don't dwell on how they acted. Think about why. When people are mean to you, don't think about how they were mean to you. Don't think about how they acted towards you. Think about why they are acting the way that they are. Because the response, oftentimes, I think the normal response for most of us is how dare you act that way. You have no right to talk to me like that. You have no right to be like that. You have no right to listen to me. I didn't create that guy on Facebook's problem. I, I didn't, right, that wasn't my, I didn't create that problem in his life. That wasn't my doing. But that was the response that I got. And I think sometimes, too often, our response to people like that is how dare you do that? You have no right to talk to me like that. You have no right to do those things. And listen, God is working on my heart. <laughs> I am not where I am supposed to be. Lest you think, everybody, I am as... This is a sermon I preach to myself. I'm as loaded, but he is working on me. That and I can't tell you how many times over the years now, on this campus and off of it, that I have come in contact with people who explode over something so small and trivial that it will blow your mind. And I know you've experienced that as well, where you come in contact with somebody throughout the day and the thing that set them off was so small and so trivial and yet it became World War III in the midst of whatever room you were sitting in. I've told you many, many times the story about the academy parent who lost her mind on me up here at the front of the, the, front of the parking lot because we had put some materials in two by four she felt were blocking her way. Called me names, pointed the finger in my face, said some things I can't repeat from this stage. Ran her car into the pillar in a fit of rage. Come on, somebody. Just over something, Joe Chiba, and ran off. I want to finish that story today. I think it's important for us to understand something about our interactions with people. And so I started where I left off last time, pulling her car out of the parking lot, me standing there with my mouth on the ground, just wondering what, what world I now live in. And so, honestly, God's been working in my heart. And so what I did is, right before she left, I took one of those two-by-fours, and I snubbed again with you, everybody. I didn't do that, but what I did do is I picked up my phone, I took a picture of the pillar, I laughed, and I called ten people because I had the greatest story in the world to tell them at that moment. And one of the calls I made was to the academy in the back because I was going to tell them, I don't know who in the world this woman is, but tell her, please never park her car again. Just come in through the carpool line, please, and pick up your children and leave. And two out of the people that I called, out of my next five phone calls, two out of the people knew who this woman was. And you know what they said to me? They said, that's the nicest lady in the world. There's no way she could have done that. And I said, of course there's a way. I have a picture of it. Which, <laughs> but they said, there's no way she could have acted like In fact, the Academy called me and they said, we're going to call her right now because there has to be something else happening. There has to be something wrong. And so a couple hours later, I got a call back from the academy that they had gotten in touch with the lady's daughter. And she had told them that earlier that morning, that same woman had gone to the doctor's office. And that she had been given the results of her test that had come back after two weeks and they had been positive and that she had breast cancer. And so three or four hours later, after she gets that news, she's trying to go through the activities of her life, the trying to just keep the mundane, just trying to keep a schedule of some sorts intact, picking up kids, doing whatever it is, is when she and I cross paths. Now listen to you, I don't know how other people do it, but I am not the hero of every story I tell you, everybody, all right? I just got to get that. I am not the hero of all of these stories. Because listen, I didn't hit her car with a two by four, but what I also didn't do is think to myself, what hell could this person be walking through that would make them act like that? 
And so many times we have so many interactions in life. You have no idea what pain people carry on the inside. And all we are called is to be a shining light in every interaction that we have. And sometimes we miss the mark and we miss it terribly. And we treat them with the reaction of how dare you talk to me like that. No one talks to me like that. No one treats me like that. Nobody interacts with, I'll, ne- I'll get even with, I'll do what I need to do to hold mine. I'll do. And we miss the opportunities to shine like stars. Because we're so blinded by our own selfishness and pride that we are the center. And that everything else just revolves around us. Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, you want to shine like a star. He says, you start to see others, lifting others, humbling ourselves. Lifting others, humbling ourselves. See, if we live life through that perspective, we won't take things so personally. We won't take every little slight and every little thing that people are doing and every little thing that happens that we won't take it so personally. Why? Because if you live in a generation full of hurting people among whom you and I are supposed to be different, supposed to react differently. And it may sound like craziness. It's just crazy talk. That's just pastor on a Sunday just giving his crazy day. We are supposed to be different in the way we treat people. Different in the way that we respond to shine like stars. It won't happen, though, if you take everything personally. You can't talk to me that way. You can't treat me that way. I won't be a party to this. I won't. I'm not going to love you in this situation. I'm not going to be in relationship with selfishness and pride being our God. And we treat that way. No, we need to be more like Jesus, Paul says. Verse 5, walking through chapter 2. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, you think it sounds like crazy talk. You think like it sounds like something that can't be done. He said, let me give you an example of what we should be. And that's Jesus. How we should act. And that's Jesus. Watch this. Who being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Listen to me. If there was ever anybody who walked the earth who deserved to demand things of people, it would have been Jesus. Who deserved to demand to be treated with respect, it would have been Jesus. Who deserved to use his position for his advantage, it would have been Jesus. And yet Paul says he didn't do that. Rather, he made himself nothing. It's not he made himself a little bit of something. He made himself, you know, enough to get by. He made himself enough to get people treat him with the respect. No, it says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. If there was ever a person who walked this earth... Would have been Jesus yet every circumstance, every situation, every time you find him in, he lowered himself to lift others. He goes on to say, even at the death on a cross, every circumstance, Jesus called out greatness in others. Jesus lifted others. Jesus rescued others. Jesus called out the hidden things that were happening in others' hearts that were just the, the motivation behind the way that they were acting. He looked deeper within and he loved others. He responded when they spit on him. He responded when they talked bad about him. He responded with love. And he died for the same ones who murdered him. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in every situation as a servant, humbling ourselves, honoring others. Because of that, he changed the world around him. And that's the life God has called us to live. You want to shine with true joy. You want to shine like a star. You can't take things so personally. You got to humble ourselves and lift others. I want to tell you, if you get this right, you will be a rare person in our culture today. Because I have not met many people, myself included, who live like this. But it's what Paul is calling us to. 
You'd be a rare person. Honestly, you'd be a rare person even in the culture back then. Because watch this, verse 19. This is kind of an aside out of the chapter. Paul says, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you, speaking to Philippi, soon for a visit. Then he can cheer you up by telling me how you are getting along. And watch this. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Time out, everybody. Paul is leading one of the greatest crusades and honestly, just one of the greatest revivals in the history that world has ever seen. And he's having planning pastor after pastor, church after church. His ministry is massive. He has all of these people part of his ministry. And he says, I've got nobody on my staff. And he talks about people like Titus and Barnabas and Philip. He's got all these people. And he says, I got nobody actually that cares 100% about your welfare. Nobody on my pastoral staff except Timothy. Now, I wonder if they ever read this letter later on and were like, ouch, Paul. Like, that kind of that kind of hurts, brother. And Paul's like, I'm just calling it like it is. Only Timothy cares about you. In fact, he calls him out. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Paul's just calling them left and right. Paul's just shooting from the hip. He said, I'm going to hit everybody. Not, none of them care about it. He's like, only Timothy cares. Only Timothy cares about what matters. I can tell you what matters to Jesus is people. What matters to Jesus is others. What matters to him is us being humble, lifting others, reaching others with the gospel. That's what matters 100% is to love others. Well, how in the world would our motivation change from being a selfish person to being one who cares about others? How would this change in our life? How can we go from being focused on ourselves to focused on others? And it says it in verse 12 of our text. Watch this as we're walking through. Therefore, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul starts it with don't let selfishness and pride. But here's how it happens. Working out salvation for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So the way we we purify our motivation then is through this process. Number two, jot it down, is sanctification. And we're going to do an entire series on some of these bedrocks of the faith very soon. But for today, just jot this down. Sanctification in its simplest form. Simplest form, it's working out or living out what God is working in. Sanctification is living out what God is working inside of you. It's what our text said. God is working in you. Why? Because when you come to Christ, you get saved. Yes, you are securing your salvation. Your eternity is secure. You're set apart. But then there's this process that happens in your life. Because listen to me. Once you get saved, you're set apart. Eternity secure in heaven. But you still have issues, everybody. Come on, it's quiet in here. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I got an amen online. That'd be great. You still got issues. I have issues. You have issues. All of God's children have issues. And if you think you don't have issues, that's your issue, everybody. All right, that's your... (laughs) We'll just clarify, clear the air right here. It's the journey. And so we all have to go through this process of sanctification in our lives. It's this journey God has us on. Then he begins to work out some things as we navigate these problems and these issues that we have. Because honestly, the journey of Christianity is going from where you are to where God wants you to be. It's one of the mission statements of our church. It's what we hope to accomplish, honestly, in everything that we do. That from wherever you are, God has you moving to where he wants you to be. It's called sanctification. It's called God working out things in our lives. And it is a lifetime journey. And so we've got these things messed up inside of our hearts, messed up in our relationships. And Paul is writing to correct some of those things. But all of that with the goal of looking more and more like Jesus. And so it's sanctification. And James 4 says it this way, because honestly, a lot of us have messed up our relationships and we don't even understand how we've done it. 
And so James writes in chapter 4, he says, Do you know where your fights and your arguments come from? To which most of you would respond, Yeah, it's from that jerk I'm married to. It's from that person down the street. It's from that boss. I know clearly where my arguments and fights come from. Clearly, I could write. Give me a, give me a survey right now. I'll write down where my I know exactly where they all come from. And James says, No, 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 no. They come from the selfish desires. Watch this at war where? Within you. James says, you think you know where your fights come from. All of you, we think we know where our arguments originate from. We think we know who's making our life miserable. We know all this. He said, no, they come from the selfish desires within you. Jot it down if you're taking notes. People don't create my problems. They display my problems. That'll preach all by itself. Come on, somebody. That'll just... I didn't create that Facebook guy's problem. Just go back to that, everybody. I didn't create that. I just touched whatever wound or whatever thing it was that set him off that day. It's like last week. Some of you, you stay up till midnight watching LSU lose in the most heartbreak of fashions. And then the next day, you're tired, blurry-eyed, and somebody cuts you off on the on-ramp. And so you're screaming things at your steering wheel. You would never tell your mama. You're screaming things out the window. You're trying to cut. You're doing Listen to me. That's not Brian Kelly's fault. That's not even that car's fault. That was already inside of you. People don't create my problems. They display it. And honestly, that's a good reminder for us when somebody else goes off on you. You didn't create that problem. You somehow created it. But when we go off on other people, we need to understand this isn't about them. These are the desires and selfish things we've let build up inside of us. And we've taken things too personally. We've taken things too far. We think in our relationships... And honestly, it's an indication God's still at work inside of us. That we need to open up a few more areas to him in this process of sanctification. God, work on me. It's why I love verse 13, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's a New Living Translation. It says, God is working in you. And watch this, not only working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I love that verse because I think sometimes there's a misconception in the church of, well, we just don't get to have all the fun that the world gets to have. And we read verses like this, but in our minds, we have this misperception. Well, we just don't get to have, you know, you're, you're just not having all the fun that you could be having, but that's okay. You just stay, stay the course. You just can't have the fun that they're having. You just can't do those things. And so for many, following Christ just becomes a set of rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. I know you really want to sleep around, but you can't. I know you really want to party, but you can't. I know you really, you know, I know you really want to do all you want to do is do those drugs, but you just, you just can't. And I know you really want to, but you just can't because you just don't want to go to hell. And it'd be really, really fun. And I know you'd really, really want to, but you can't because, you know, you just don't want to burn for all of eternity. And so Christianity just becomes a set of rules. And I know you really want to live a full life and you really want to go have fun and give, live like everybody else is living, but you just can't. That's called legalism, everybody. That's trying to change your life from the outside in. That's saying if I can heap up enough rules, enough don'ts, and enough things, then I'll somehow just, just somehow I just, I know I want to, and I know all those things, but I just, I can't because I don't want to burn. That's called legalism. Trying to change yourself from the outside in. That's not what God does. Since God is working inside of you, he changes you from the inside out. Sanctification is changing you from the heart out. Where he gets at work inside of you, and it's not a have to anymore, it's a get to. And I hope you see this in your journey of faith. This is one of the most incredible things, because he says, God is working in you, giving you the desire, the want to. But not just the want to, it says he's also giving you the power to do what pleases him. 
And so it's not that you don't want to do the things of God. You just want to do the things. No, God is changing what you actually desire. Sanctification is the changing inside of us. And it's a journey, everybody. This is not a one-time deal. But sanctification, God is working inside of you to give you the desire where it's not a have to, it's a want to. I want to read my Bible. I want to spend time with him. I want to be in his presence. I want to be in fellowship with believers. I want to have those things in my life because I know that I need his presence. I know that I need his power. And then it says, not only, this is my favorite part, not only does he give you the desire, but he gives you the power to do it. So he doesn't just throw you out on the island some way and say, get this thing done. No, he gives you the power inside of you, begins to change your desires and gives you the power to do what pleases him. And sin starts to lose its power over you. The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you can get to him, changing you from the inside out, being faithful to this sanctification on the inside. You say, well, how do I know if I'm doing well in that process? Well, it's very easy. Verse 14. He says, now do everything without complaining or arguing. We hate that verse. Come on, somebody. We just, we complain about that verse. We just complain. He says, do ever, you want to know if this process of sanctification is working out. You want to know if your sanctification is purifying your motivation. It's by this third one. Jot it down if you're taking notes. That's by your conversation. What are you talking about? What things are coming out of it? How do you view the world? Why do you, because Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12. Watch this. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever your heart is full of, your mouth begins to speak. There's a simple principle in life. You ever wonder where somebody is at in their life? You get them talking and you just listen. Because honestly, people can fake it for 10 or 15 minutes, but you get somebody talking for like an hour, they will tell you right where they are, what they love, what they do, what things they're involved in, where their heart is. You get somebody talking out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why? Because the heart always exposes itself with its words. And Paul says this. He said, I'm going to give you instruction. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Everything. Everything. He said, well, what about everything? He said, well, this, this situation, everything. He says, everything without complaining. So we would know that we're doing well in our sanctification, that our motivation is pure in our relationships. If our conversation, every relationship that we're engaged in, without complaining or arguing. Now, the problem with that is every single one of us here, myself included, we feel like we have an excuse for our complaining. Or you just don't know how hard my life is. You just don't know how much I got to pay in taxes. You don't know what that person did. You just don't know what that neighbor, they should not be doing those things. I have a right to complain. You don't know what my boss and my co you don't understand what I, I have a right to complain. Every single one of us has that. You're not unique in the way that we justify our complaints. All of us have a reason. We think our excuses. And yet here is Paul with his ministry hopes dashed. Sitting in prison. His freedom taken from him. Writing these letters saying, do everything without complaining. There's anybody who could have complained. Anybody who could have just slipped a little complaint in there. Would have been Paul sitting in prison, giving all he has for the gospel. And he writes, do everything without complaining. You know what's going to happen? Verse 15, when we do that, back where we started, he says, then you'll be innocent without wrong. You'll be God's children without fault. And watch this. You'll shine like stars in the dark world. Paul says, you want to be the example. This is where we've been working all morning towards. Do everything without complaining, without arguing being humble, always humility, always lifting and honoring others. He says, you want to shine like a star, this is how you do it. 
Nowhere in here does he say it's easy. Nowhere in here does he say it'll just come naturally. No, he says God is working within you. You want to be a shining like a star. You want to be an example. And guess what that does? At the end of here it says you'll offer the teaching that gives life. You want to give life to those around you. You want to spread the gospel. You want to do it by just the way that you live. Paul's showing us this in chapter 2. He's saying you've got to have motivation that's pure behind your relationship, sanctification that walks us through this process. And then you want a barometer for that. You watch your conversation. What are you speaking? Are you lifting others? Are you speaking life? Are you giving the gospel? Are you sowing seeds of life into the people around you? Are you staying humble? And in doing that, church, we will shine like stars in a dark world. An example of what Christ has sent us out to be. We need to shine. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I just ask you right now. God, give us opportunities, but then Lord, give us the desire and the power to live out the things that please you. And so I just want to pray today for every person here. Every person watching online, that God would begin to work this out of sanctification. That he would begin to use us as examples to shine in a dark world. That we would have a new perspective of people. That we would love them as they are. That we wouldn't treat them with contempt or retaliation or revenge. But we would learn to examine why they act the way they do and love them as Christ loved us. That he would give us a perspective and he would give us an example and he would give us opportunity. Before we get to that prayer, though, I just want to ask some of you, you're here today or you're watching online and you're listening to all of this and you're thinking, I am so far from God that none of this makes sense to me right now anyway. And you're thinking, I don't know why I came this morning. I don't know what it's talking about, but I'm so far from him to begin with. And I just want you to know there's a thousand different ways you could be there. And maybe you were treated with retaliation in a time in your life when you were hurt and lashing out. Or maybe you were pushed away by somebody who called themselves a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you just felt so ashamed of the things you had done that you ran so far from God that you could get as far away as you thought as possible. I don't know how you got where you are. But right now, it'd be my honor to tell you about Jesus. And I don't know what example of him you've seen or what Christian has given a bad thing about God or what person has told you there's no way he could love you but I would just invite you right now to hear about Jesus Jesus the son of God who while we were still sinners while we were still screwed up while we were still messed up in our sins lost as lost could be Jesus came to die for us to pay the price that we needed to pay for our sins, that we could be saved. Every single one of us has messed up. Every single one of us have been an enemy of God. Every single one of us has sinned, but Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, died in our place. The Bible says he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later so that anyone, anyone, including you, could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. And so right now, I don't care what you've been told. I don't care what example you've seen. I don't care anything of that. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. Right now, you can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. It'd be my honor to pray with you. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not asking you to go to some side room. I'm not asking any of that. Right now, it's between you and Jesus. I'd just be my honor to pray with you. It's a prayer of surrender. 
It's just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. That's the prayer that we're going to pray together. So right now, our church has dedicated ourselves. We pray with every single person who would like to pray that prayer. So right now, if that's you, our church will pray it with you. Right now, just say these words. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, God, I am so thankful for our church. God, I pray, help us this week to shine in a world that is dark and hurting. Help us to shine like stars in a world that is lost. Help us to be examples of what humility and honoring others and loving others is supposed to be. Give us the opportunities, Lord, to honor. Help us to walk through this sanctification. God, help us to submit to you this week. Lord, as we continue to live out what you are working inside of us, as we continue to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, as we continue to treat others as you have treated us, to forgive, to love, to honor, to lift, to speak life. Give us opportunities to shine like stars. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Give you all of the glory and all the praise. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God glory for what he's done today?